Listener Production. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. To be honest, when I buy car insurance, I kind of just go for the minimum policy. I don't really understand all the optional extras or the add-ons, and so I just leave them. Some things are certain in life, death, taxes, and car insurance. Hi, I'm Erin Mullen, and welcome to Everything You Auto Know, an educational series about everything you ought to know about cars. To discover exactly what we are paying for and why, we have Managing Director of Motor Claims at the Suncorp Group, Carl Dwight here. Carl, it might sound like a very obvious question, but maybe the answer might not be so much. Why do we have car insurance? So insurance is essentially, I think the best way to describe it is it's a community function where a group of people like you and I come together and we decide to share some financial risk, if you like. Driving on the roads is inherently risky behaviour. There's a lot of things that can occur from sort of minor accidents to major accidents. I think if you think about it like getting on a bike to go for a ride, you put on a helmet and the likelihood of you coming off your bike in a way that worst thing happens and you suffer a brain injury, that's very low probability. But the impact on your life you know, of suffering a brain injury is catastrophic. So that's kind of the way I view car insurance. And there is this low probability, but very high impact of suffering some life altering financial liabilities from car accidents as well. So I think it's a really important thing to to protect us against those sort of life changing things. What about the difference between states? How does that work? So essentially, there's not really much difference across states. I think if we look at a specific type of motor insurance product, like, um, you know, compulsory third party injury liability cover, which in places like South Australia and Queensland, you'd call CTP and in New South Wales, Greenslip. There's probably some nuances in the way you acquire that compulsory insurance, but for the other motor insurance products, they're typically designed for a national footprint. What are the different types of insurance that you can buy? Like I'm assuming you can't just say, look, I like that left tyre, so I'm going to insure that, but the rest of the car, meh. Like what, what are the different, you know, ways you can do it? Yeah, so I think if we start with the compulsory side of things, just to get that one out of the road, because pretty much everyone who owns a car has to have compulsory third-party injury liability insurance. Um, So that's probably one that sits over on the left. Towards the middle, you've got two types of third-party liability cover, and that's for third-party property liability. So the most basic type there is essentially just third-party property liability only. So essentially, if you impact someone else's vehicle or, or someone else's property, you're covered for that liability only. There's a second tier of that where typically you can add on cover for yourself that covers loss of your vehicle due to fire or theft. And then, of course, you've got the top and most common tier of cover, which is comprehensive insurance, which covers you for property liability, but also any loss that you suffer in regards to your vehicle subject to the limitations of the policy you've purchased. Excess. My memories of excess uh, Mm. being, I think, a 20-year-old P-plate driver and having a little prang and thinking, oh, thank goodness I've got insurance and then going, oh, Lord, my excess. And as a 20-year-old, you know, fairly steep and and clearly for, for good reason because we're more of a risk. How does excess work? I think the best way to think about excess is it's your contribution uh, to a claim whenever you make a claim. Um, And I think the good news about excess is it typically doesn't 
matter how severe the accident is, you know, so if it's a small fender bender, a couple of thousand dollars for, you know, both vehicles repair, you'll pay the same excess as if you, you know, rear-render Maserati or a Ferrari. So on the one hand, the excess is good like that. But obviously on the other hand, as you've as you've mentioned, you know, excess, the cost of excess can vary quite significantly depending on a number of factors. And I really encourage people to think carefully about the type of product that they're purchasing when it comes to motor vehicle insurance and what excesses are associated with that. For example, you could get a policy where the premium is reduced if you name all the drivers who are going to drive that vehicle regularly, and that allows insurers to better calculate the risk and, mm. and you know make a sharper premium. But then if there's an accident involving someone like your friend who wasn't named, you might be exposed to an additional excess for an unnamed driver, and that excess could be quite significant as well. So these are all things to take into account. How accurately can you determine someone's risk just based on gender, experience? Do you use gender? That's an interesting one too. There are a load of factors that go into into calculating a premium. And I think probably the most important part is coming back to that, you know, community notion of insurance is that there is typically a large enough pool of people involved in sharing that risk where, you know, the precision of those factors while over time, and especially insurance companies have evolved, and they've been around you know, for hundreds of years in various forms, have gotten quite sophisticated at modelling that, you know, there can be overs and unders that are essentially spread out across that community of participants. We often hear the term when someone has a bad car accident that their car's been written off. What does that mean? So in simplest terms, a write-off basically means that you'll not be getting your car repaired by your insurer, assuming that you had a comprehensive insurance product um, and that was an option in the first place. And there's really two things that can typically lead to your car being written off. I think the first one is that it's unsafe to repair. So there might be certain Mm. structural damage um, or in the case of, for example, flooding, as soon as the water crosses a certain threshold of height on the vehicle, it's automatically a statutory write-off. So that vehicle cannot be repaired. Really? Yep. And then you've got an economic write-off where it's just not viable to repair that car. There's more damage. It would cost more to repair that car than that car is worth. Roadside assistance, is that part of a package that you might get through insurance? Typically, it isn't. There are many insurance products where you can add that on. And I think there's a lot of providers out there who like to bundle those products together. And of Mm. course, you know, certain providers like to um, have stickier customers. So the more products that an individual has with an organisation, the more likely they are to sort of stay with them over the long term. So typically, you know, you can sort of get discounts on both of those products by holding them with the same provider. Um, But it's usually something that you have to consciously opt into. It's certainly not something that comes by default. There's lots of different insurance providers, clearly. For those who aren't at your level of expertise, which is clearly very high, what kind of things should we be looking for when we're looking to find the right insurance for us? Insurance is a very personal purchase. So I would encourage everyone to have a think about, you know, your personal circumstances. Um, You know, and if we think back to when we were teens and early 20s, you know, I remember my first car was worth about $2,000. $2,000. And so, you know, it didn't make sense for me to have a comprehensive insurance product at the time. I think the premium per year was more expensive than the car. Yeah, but yeah. obviously, as that's changed over time, um, you know, and cars certainly are becoming more and more expensive at the moment, um, it makes sense to think about what type of cover um, is most appropriate for you. And probably one example of, you know, a common feature that can vary a little bit across providers is something like hire car. And, you know, I've had certain jobs where it's really easy for me to access public transport to get there. And so if I've had an accident and sometimes, you know, moderate to large accidents can take weeks and weeks or even months to repair. So you could be without your car for months. 
And in those circumstances, for me at that time, it didn't really matter. I could get around for essential travel, relying on public transport and friends and family. But there are many of us who cannot go without a vehicle yeah. for months. So that pushes the price up if you do select that vehicle, but you might not actually need that. Correct. Exactly. Uh, what about the first thing that you should do if you have an accident? I mean, clearly police, I'd say, would be initially if it's big enough, but how do you determine if, if it warrants calling the police or if you just go straight to your insurer? This is another tricky one as well. I think the first thing I would say to everyone, you know, be prepared for a lot of adrenaline in an accident. Of course, you know, they come out of nowhere, take you by surprise. There's often a lot of loud noises. So the most important thing to do straight away is just take a deep breath Mm. and give yourself the chance to assess the situation. You know, the next thing you should do, obviously, is double check to make sure that everyone's okay. Of course, if there's any chance or sign of any sort of injury, the first thing you should do is contact emergency services. But assuming that, you know, it's a minor accident and, you know, very commonly there's those, you know, fender benders and bumper to bumper type accidents where it's quite simple to sort of move the cars out of the road. The next thing to do is, you know, obviously uh, look to exchange details with the other party as well. I think in, you know, today where we've got very easy access to smartphones, I think it's a nice straightforward one. Get a couple of photos the other driver's license, front and back. In most states, the address is on the back as well. Grab a photo of the registration plate of the other vehicle or vehicles involved, and then just grab a quick phone number um, for the other party or parties involved as well. And depending on the nature of the accident, if you think that it might help you explain to your insurer the circumstances of the accident, you know, I'd suggest taking a few photos of the scene around you as well, just to help articulate what exactly happened. You mentioned floods before and the fact that once water goes up to a certain height in a car, it's automatically a write-off. But what about other natural disasters, fires? um, I can't imagine drought would have much to do with it. Hurricanes, I mean, what role do they play in insurance? Mm, a fairly significant one. And of course, for motor vehicles, one of the one of the most significant natural hazards is hail. Of course, um, you know, yes. And there is a big difference between hail coming through at 7pm on a Saturday versus 5pm peak traffic time through a central business district, right? So these can be, you know, very, very significant circumstances. Thankfully, they don't happen all too often, but they do play quite a large role, particularly when insurers are thinking about preparing for event season, which is a term that seems to be expanding further and further through the year. So we certainly spend a lot of time preparing for how we're going to respond because typically when these things happen, they happen at scale and we've got, you know, tens of thousands of customers who all need help all at the same time. And obviously we want to, you know, resolve those as quickly as we can. I was at uh, an event um, recently in Orange in the Central West and talking to a a lovely lady who worked in insurance uh, about what she was doing with the floods at the moment and what really struck me, because sometimes we think about big insurance companies and we don't see them as really caring. We we see them as, you know, just people who are are doing a job and, and looking to make a profit like all businesses. But she was really emotionally invested in the people that she was trying to help as well as trying to put their claims through for a fairly big company she worked for. She was dropping things off to them. And you guys as insurance companies, you care, don't you? As well as, as it being your job, you, you must feel emotional about what people go through. Absolutely. I think, you know, particularly when you've worked in insurance for a while, you've been exposed to all manner of circumstances. And the unfortunate reality of most insurance products is they don't cover you for 100% of the loss associated Mm. with any single event. I think even if you think about a minor motor vehicle accident, you've still got to take time off to go and drop your vehicle off, get it repaired. You've got to perhaps pick up a hike. There's so much other stuff associated with it. But when you scale that out to other, you know, larger circumstances, there is often, you know, specific hardship 
hardship that's imposed on people for various circumstances. And we do what we can to help people through that. But certainly there can be some um, very distressing circumstances for our customers to go through. And that certainly rubs off on us as insurance professionals. Just finally, what are the red flags? If I'm looking at different policies and trying to wade my, my way through options, is there something that I see that I should immediately go, nah, let's move on? If you're trying to lower your premium as much as possible, you might be creating or, or sort of modifying or selecting a product that actually isn't fit for your needs. So, you know, I'd really encourage people to think very carefully about what a claim would actually mean to them and ensure that, you know, they select a product that, you know, suits their means and suits their needs as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you go. You might never need insurance, but when you do, you'll be so glad you spent the money. On the next episode of Everything You Auto Know, we talk to Theo Cosmatardis, Executive Director and Co-Founder at Redbook Inspect, about car servicing and the things you should probably not rely on YouTube for. There are reasons manufacturers provide guidelines for servicing your vehicles. I always recommend get online and do a bit of research. Have a look what you should be paying for the particular make and model that you own. That's next time. Bye for now. This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Erin Molan, and made in partnership with Car Sales. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, producer is Kelsey Menzies, and audio by Kelly Fulston. Listener.